several weeks ago and uh, taken a course away from it, Reformation Sunday. Tim was here last Sunday. Um, but let me begin reading uh, in verse 28, <clears throat> familiar verse, one we looked at a long time ago, but it gives us the context for the passage we're going to look at today. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And so, Father, as we just sang, Lord, I pray you would help us see your glory in this passage, your glory in the very gospel message. Lord, I pray that you would receive that glory and, and some would receive the very God who has done so much on behalf of his people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There's an old saying, you know, you can't see the forest because of the trees. And, uh, you know, we've been amongst the trees for many weeks in, Ro in Romans, kind of looking at words instead of verses, instead of chapters. And, uh, but, but it's been profitable as we looked at each one of these theological terms that describe us and who we are in Christ. Those of you who were with us know what it means to be amongst the trees and, uh, we started in verse 28, and we slowed down after that for several weeks, looking at the various links in the chain, that golden chain of salvation. As we return now to Romans 8, what I'd like to do is take our spiritual drone and pull back on, 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 the, uh, on the button there it's to make that drone go up in the air, and I want us to look back down from, from, from a height and see where we've been and to see what this forest has been of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You remember, you remember Romans 8, 28 when we were there? Remember how we said it was kind of a spiritual fortune cookie? Uh, I know that's kind of an odd way to look at Romans 8, 28, but I think you understand what we were looking at at that point in time. We know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Uh, Many of you, that might have been the very first verse that you memorized when you were a brand new Christian and beginning to memorize Scripture. Some of you might have underlined or highlighted this verse on your page of your Bible. It's uh, one of those verses that's often quoted during times of trials and sufferings. We're quick to bring it, bring it out and say, all things work together for good. We call this kind of like a, a, a fortune cookie because it's one of those verses we pull out and break open, and when someone's struggling, we read it to them. But here's the problem. We often read it and misquote it and misapply it. Typically, uh, we, we use this verse to say, well, listen, you're having some difficult times. You're having trials going on in your life right now. You know, God works all things out for good for you. He's going to flip it. It's all going to be good. 
And that's not what this verse is all about, even though that's how it's commonly used. I mean, so the dishwasher goes out next week, and, and, and you're saying, well, all things work together for good, so God's going to give us a new dishwasher. He's going to flip it over, you see. Well, it could be God's will. You don't have a dishwasher at all. Maybe not. But in other words, it's, it, it, it's taking the, the difficulties of life, flipping it around, and saying it's all going to be okay. This verse is about salvation. This verse is about God doing a work of grace in the hearts of His people. This, this is a verse that says that God is taking all the events of your life from birth all the way to your current age, and He's taking all of those, where you were born, the country you are born in, the family that you have, that, that you were born within, your, your friends, your job, where you live, uh, your children, sickness, death in the family, all these events of life, no matter what they are, God is taking them, orchestrating them for the good of those who love Him to those who are called. And by good, we mean spiritual good. By good, we mean saving people. And by good, we mean sanctifying people. I mean, what an amazing promise this, this verse truly is. A promise of, that brings hope and assurance to all of us who are in Christ, because it's saying that, where have you been? Well, what's happened in your life? What are some of the trials that God used in your life to bring you to Christ? Think about it. God is orchestrating every small detail of your life through His decrees in such a way to, bring, to accomplish His purpose of salvation in His people. Now, that, that, so we, that's where we began, ver, verse 28. And then we asked ourselves the question, well, why? How, how could this be? How is it that God can take all the events of life and work them into good, either spiritually good to save or spiritually good to sanctify His people? The answer to that question, we said, is found in verse 29 and 30. And we've linked this to call this the God's golden link of salvation. Five golden links of salvation answers really the question of how it is God can work all things together for good in the life of those whom He's saving. You say, well, Don, why five golden links? I mean, each link in this, in this chain it forms an unbroken chain whereby God is working out His salvation. They're divine links. It's a golden chain. It is God who does all the saving. It's God who does every work from beginning to end in saving His people. And whoever is added in at the first link, remember we saw that as foreknowledge, will be added to the second link, will be connected to the third link, the fourth, all the way to glorification, and none are going to be lost in between. Remember we saw that the uh, five links in are infinitely long. We might think of a chain this long, but the chain that we're talking about is a chain that links from eternity past to eternity future. It's a chain you can't see the end of, but there's still five links to that chain. Remember, the first two links are in eternity past. So to understand your salvation, God working your salvation out, it began before you were born. It began before there was a universe. It began back when there was God. And then God foreknew a people. And uh, we looked at what foreknowledge meant, 
how it's commonly and wrongly used today is foreknowledge, meaning that God can look down the tunnel of time. Remember, we talked about that viewpoint. You can see way down there that, uh, oh, Mary, Mary's going to believe in Christ, and so I'm going to choose her. And so election or predestination is based on what God could see you would do, not based on His sovereign choice. And we saw, we looked carefully at the word foreknew, and the word foreknew had to do more with, with God uh, placing His his love upon a people, purposing His love upon a people. Foreknowledge would be like Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore a son, and his name was Cain. Now, how did Cain come into being? Well, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, I know my wife. I know what she, yeah, I know her, and then Cain was born. No, the whole, the whole argument is he knew her in, in a special way. Oh, that only a husband and wife can know each other intimately and even physically in this case. And therefore, through that intimate, loving relationship came a child whose name was Cain. And so, when God foreknew you, before you were even born, something wonderful happened. God placed His everlasting love and affection upon a people. And that was the people He was going to save. And all those whom he foreknew, now we're going to the second link, and we're still where? We're before the foundation of the world. We're still back in eternity past. He predestined. And that's our the root word there is the word horizon that we have in the English. It's he pre-horizoned. He set boundaries. And those whom he foreloved, he marked their final destiny by his sovereign choice. He marked them down to be saved. He marked them down, as we saw, to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second link. Third link. Third link now takes us out of eternity past. The third link brings us into time where we are right now, time and space. For some of you, it might be future time if you're not a Christian. Uh, Time and place for you might be the time you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, at that time, God called you. And that's where a call there we saw is an effectual call, where when God calls, guess what happens? People answer and they come. And so when He calls you to faith, you believe. He calls you to repentance, you repent. It's an effectual call. And so at the pre-chosen time, uh, the gospel came forth, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the power of the Holy Spirit took the gospel in the life of those whom were predestined, and they what? They heard the gospel, and they received the gospel, and they believed the gospel. And he did this through uh, the new birth. You know, sometimes the illustrations used of Lazarus when he was in in the tomb, and our Lord stood outside the grave, and he'd been dead, and he's wound up in, in the grave clothes, and and, and, and then he stood there, and, 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 and the big rock is, it was over the face of, of the tomb. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. He's dead. There's no way in and of himself he could get up and walk out of there. But an effectual call came from Christ where he was enlivened to hear and respond and to leave the tomb. Now, today we come to the two last links in the golden chain. The, of the five, we come to four and five. And those whom He called, now the next link is what? He justified. 
We're still in time and space. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's it. Now we're going off into where? Eternity future. So let's bring our spiritual drone back down into the forest now. And let's look at the trees as we look at these two, two words. What does it mean to be justified and what does it mean to be glorified? At the moment that God calls a sinner to himself with the gospel of Jesus Christ and enlivens that with, with the power of the Holy Spirit who brings life within, the new birth, that person believes in Christ. At the moment that person believes in Christ, the Bible says he is, she is justified. Justification. And look who justifies here. It's God the Father who justifies. By the way, it's all of God, right? This whole, every, chain, every link in this chain is of God. It's God who foreknew. It's God who predestined. It's God who called. It's God who justifies. You know, it, it's God who, who, who glorifies. It's all of God. Now, this justification is, uh, we see in verse 33 of the same, we who bring any charge against God's elect, who, who can bring any charge? It is God who justifies. He's the one who justifies. This is a great doctrine of justification by faith. Uh, this shouldn't be new to us. If you've been with us for any period of time, you know as we've gone through the first four chapters, after getting through the, the sinfulness of man, we begin to look at what? God's doctrine of justification by, by faith alone. Uh, this great doctrine of justification by faith was almost lost prior to the Reformation. It was still there, but it was just a spark. And then Luther comes along and he rediscovers this great and wonderful doctrine of justification by faith and this Reformed truth that all who believe in Christ will be justified. Uh, if I ask you today, because we spent a lot of time on this early in the book of Romans, if I asked you today privately, could you explain to me the doctrine of justification by faith, what would you say? What would your answer be? Because every one of us in this room who identify ourselves as Christians should be able to give an answer to that question. Perhaps that's why Paul just keeps bringing it over and over and over again throughout the book of Romans. Uh, it's fact, it's the central theme that runs through Romans. Uh, back in July 2021, if you were here on that Sunday, it's been a long time ago, we were in verse 17 of chapter 1. We read this, For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, for as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And there's the glorious doctrine of the justification by faith. So what does it mean? Well, by way of review, but also as we hit, hit a new verse this morning, what does it mean to be justified by faith? Well, notice this. It's a forensic term. We've used that before. It's a legal term. It's a, it's a term that's used in the courtroom. Uh, it's where the judge takes the gavel and, and he brings it down on, in front of him and he makes a legal pronouncement. In the case, it's God who is the judge. It's God who is justifying. And here's what happens. The moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the gavel goes down, 
And, and God declares you justified. But what does that mean, justified? You know, for those of you who grew up in Sunday school, you might have a Sunday school definition that says, well, justified, that means just as if I hadn't sinned. Yeah, Mary's going, yeah. You did a good job on that, Mary. Just as if I didn't sinned. And, and that's partially true, but it doesn't go really deep enough to understand the doctrine of justification by faith. See, when the gavel goes down, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God declares you, judicially declares you, obviously not guilty for your sins. You're forgiven. But if you stop there, you only understand one half of justification by faith and really miss out on perhaps even the more glorious second half. Because God also declares you, when that gavel goes down, as righteous. Justification describes a wonderful transaction that took place on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and He was suffering and He, he took the wrath of the Heavenly Father on behalf of all of His people, a sacrificial death where He shed His blood for the forgiveness of sin, all who would believe in Christ, all who would end up believing in Christ, uh, their sins were imputed to Christ. Remember we talked about the word imputation. And what that means is He paid for those sins on the cross so that all who would come later to believe in Him, their sins would be forgiven. They would have been paid for by the blood of Christ. That's half of it. But there's a second half, and this is the more, perhaps even more glorious half. That is, His righteousness is then imputed to all those who believe in Christ. And so our sins go to Him, He pays for them, and His righteousness goes to our account. And we stand righteous before God. Let me see if I can give you an illustration. So a person decides to break into a convenience store and fill his pockets with liquor, cigarettes, and candy. It's a good diet. So the store owner's peeking out his side, you know, his peripheral vision. He sees all this going on. And he begins to get ready to call the cops. But the perpetrator takes out a gun and says, bam, and he shoots the guy and kills him in cold blood, takes his liquor, takes his candy, and uh, he, he ends up leaving the convenience store, fleeing it. Well, down the road, he's arrested. Now, in, in, in my story, they arrest people for breaking crimes, and he's actually put in jail, and he's going to stay there until such time that there's a trial. So now this, this, uh, this murderer is on trial for his life. The penalty is a death penalty. Stay with me through the illustration. Stretching a little bit. But let's say the bailiff approaches the judge and hands the judge a piece of paper. And the judge is behind. He's, he's in black robe and he, he, he's there and he's, he reads the charges. Murder. Punishable by death. Then the bailiff happens another, another piece of paper. And let's say he approaches and this piece of paper reads, By the way, judge, this guy has a friend. And this friend has pled guilty to his charges. And this friend is willing to basically take the lethal injection for this person and pay the penalty in full. 
Now, following our illustration, you would say, well, justification would be the penalty has been paid, uh, the, the, the sin would be forgiven, the crime would be forgiven, and we'd have a, a halfway illustration of justification by faith. But that doesn't go far enough. See, to see the wonder of justification, you have to see this. After the judge reluctantly declares the person not guilty and is ready to let him go free, the judge makes a second pronouncement. And he says, Bailiff, go get the golden key to the city. And then he hands the criminal the key to the city. And he says, I am pronouncing you to be the citizen of the year of this city. Well, wait a minute, why would he do that? See, this is the righteousness side of it, the righteousness of Christ that's put to our account. Yes, we're forgiven. That's wonderful. But it's even, to me, more amazing to be able to be declared to have the righteousness of Christ. I mean, here the, here the judge is saying, go, uh, you're the man of the year. Here's the key to the city. And we've been given the key to the kingdom of God. And we have the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have all the right standing before our Heavenly Father that Christ has because He has justified us. Justification, like every other link in this chain, including foreknowledge, predestination, and calling, is all of God. How is a person justified? Is it by his deeds, by his works, by the good things he's done in life? No. It's by what Christ has done on his behalf and through faith and trusting in him and him alone. Well, you say we don't do anything. You said God does it all in justification by faith, but what about the faith part of it? Aren't we doing something there? Maybe it's our belief. It's our trust. It's our repentance. And no, we read that in Ephesians 8, that Ephesians 2, I'm sorry, that even that is a gift of God. Even your faith is a gift of God. Even your repentance is a gift of God. So that's all of God. Justification is all of God. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, I understand this, and I believe that when I trusted Christ many years ago, maybe as a young teenager or, or a young person, and I, I, I believed in Christ, I believed He forgave my sins, but that was then, and this is now. And now I continue to sin. And I struggle with sin. I have doubts in my mind. It seems like my salvation, if I did have it, is becoming unwound. Am I truly a Christian? Now, there's other issues involved there, but when it comes to the doctrine of justification by faith, if a sinner truly trust in Christ and truly repents of his sin, can that be unwound by sin? And the answer is no, because you're justified what? Once and for all. The true justification is a work of God in your life. It's a faith that He gives you is a faith that will never fail. The faith that He gives you is a faith that isn't temporary and is going to fizzle out like a skyrocket. No, it's going to go all the way and persevere to the very end, to the very last link that we're going to look at in just a minute. You know, Johnny Mac, uh, John MacArthur, I don't know him that well, I just, uh, but uh, John MacArthur likes to say, 
If you could lose your salvation, what? You would. If you could lose your salvation, every one of us would. So there's one more link in this golden chain. The last link we're going to look at is the link of, and those whom he justified, now you're going to be on the next link, right? He also glorified. No, no breaks, no, no breaks in the links. All who were brought on at foreknowledge, the first link, will be carried all the way to being glorified, the last link. All who were foreknew, all he foreknew, he predestined, he, he called, he justified, and they all, every one of them, without exception, will be glorified. By the way, this isn't the first time glorification is mentioned in chapter 8. Remember back in verse 18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And what this speaks of is a day that's coming, hasn't happened yet, when all of you today who are in Christ will be fully conformed into the image of Christ. Remember your predestination, your, your, your forehorizon chosen to be in the image of Christ? It's ultimately going to happen when you come to your glorification. When Christ returns, everyone who's in Christ will be glorified. Now, one thing is you're going to be glorified in a new body. You'll have a glorified body. Until then, you got, you're stuck with the one you have. And uh, it, it's on, on the downward slope as far as its abilities go. But you're going to have a new body. You're going to have a glorified body when Christ returns. It's going to be a body that's retrofitted for heaven, whatever that means. Think about it, though. Whatever you need to be eternally with the Heavenly Father, worshiping and glorifying our Lord Jesus Christ, your body will have the capacity to do that. You know, I was thinking, you know, I read Revelation, I see that there's going to be singing. There's going to be singing in heaven, choirs in heaven. They're going to be raising their voice and praising the Lord Jesus Christ who reigns on His throne. Now, I realize if that's going to happen to me, God has to do some glorifying of this body to be able to take this body to be able to be used for that purpose. I mean, if I'm going to be glorifying God and singing praises to, to our Lord forever, He's going to have to do something with my lung capacity. I can only push so much air out from my lungs and I feel limited every time I sing. He's going to have to do something with, with my voice. If it's going to be raised to the level of perfect pitch, I need a glorified body that allows me to do that. And so that when we sing, we sing whatever we lack here in the flesh, that new body will allow us to sing fully and joyfully, eternally. Yes, yeah, think, sing eternally. You know, we can, we're, we're good for about five songs on Sunday morning, but I mean, can you imagine? Hey, by the way, we're here for eternity right now, so get ready. We're going to sing. You've got to play the piano forever, Nancy, and, that's just, and we're going to be singing forever. You go, wow, I don't know if I could do that. You can't in this body. But in a glorified body, you can. And then you think of, of being holy in heaven. And what change in, in, in your body is going to have to take place for that to happen? You know, right now we have a sinful body that wars, the flesh wars against the spirit. 
And uh, if you're going to have a glorified soul, sin will be gone. Can you imagine what kind of body you must have for you not to have any more selfishness in your life? And we talked during Sunday school hour about anger. And how we all struggle with anger. Mike reminds me, remember when you were angry that time? I said, yeah, I, I, I remember, Mike. I, thanks for reminding me. But uh, we're all, we suffer with anger. Sexual temptation. Evil thoughts. I mean, we're talking about holiness elevated to a level we can't even imagine. If that's going to happen in your life, something's got to change in you different than what it is right now. And one of the things is you are going to have a glorified body. It's not going to war against the Spirit. And so it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's, uh, if you look at this verse, verse 30, you might ask yourself, why is it that if this is in the future, Paul uses an heiress, actually a past, uh, an heiress, but a, a past tense of, of this particular verb. Why does he say all those whom he justified, he's glorified? It's an act at this point in time that's already completed. I believe that what happens is it is so sure to happen that Paul can actually use the past tense to show that it's already happened, even though it hasn't already happened. Uh, it's to remind us that it's irrevocable. You're going to be glorified. You are going to be glorified. If God foreknew you, He predestined you. And if He predestined you, He called you. If He called you, He justified you. And if He justifies you, He has glorified you. Therefore, He will glorify you. You don't have to worry. That's certainty. That's assurance. I mean, there's certain things that every one of us in this room can be certain about. And here's one of them. We can be certain that everybody, 75 years from now, maybe 100 years from now, be play it safe, 100 years from now, every one of us will be dead. Think about that. That's certain. It's absolutely certain. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. I, so we can actually use your death. I, I can actually say, well, you've died. In other words, I can say with absolute certainty, you're going to die, so I can say in the present, it's as good as if you've died. Um, those who are in Christ will be glorified. If you've been justified, you will be glorified. You'll be conformed to the image of Christ. It's going to happen. That day's coming when Christ returns. And then like this body is going to change. And you will be glorified. Standing before the throne, Christ will be there. You'll be clothed in perfect righteousness, the robes of righteousness. You'll be in a body that's perfected for heaven. You'll be standing before Him and worshiping Him and thanking Him and praising Him. Someone asked me last week, what music are we going to sing? I don't know. Might be singing the music we see in Revelation and saying that God is holy. Maybe there'll be more vain repetition. It won't be vain, but there'll be repetition in heaven, singing the great glory of God and all of His wonderful attributes. Now, let me ask you a question. Look at verse 29 and 30, okay? In your Bible, 
different translations. Look in your Bible. Here's my question. Do you see any link that Paul left out? I mean, we have five links, right? Should, should there have been six links? Or maybe seven links? Are, are there links that, he, that we know are part of our salvation that he's left out? In other words, a step that's necessary to your salvation. You know, it struck me last week. I don't know if you've answered it yet, but think about it. Uh, if there's one, it might be sanctification. And that would fit anywhere. Between justification, there would be a link called sanctification. And that, then it would connect to the last link, which would be glorification. It's that inward work of the Holy Spirit that's in the life of of every believer, where he is progressively conforming us more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of you who are Christians here today, this is, this is the link you're in right now. You've been justified. You will be glorified. So here we are, waiting to be glorified. What's happening in the present? We are being sanctified. There's a work. And obviously Paul knew about this. I mean, he spent... Uh, much of what we've looked at recently, looking at uh, sanctification, chapters 6 through 8 have been on the, on the very doctrine of sanctification. So why would he leave that out? I don't know. But i got a couple ideas. You know, one of them... If we look at the five links, they all have one thing in common, but not, not with sanctification. In other words, Paul is linking the steps of salvation in the five links that he has done and he has done alone. Those are the ones he wants to emphasize in these various five links. We play absolutely no part in being foreknown of God. We weren't even born. We play no part in being predestined. We weren't even around. There was no universe. We played no part in God calling us with an effectual call. We came. We played no part in being justified by faith. Even our faith was a gift of God. And it's God who's going to glorify us. He did it all by Himself, all alone. This is grace. However, sanctification is different. It's not all of God alone. It's a cooperation between you and God. I believe that's why God, that's why Paul's only listing those things that, where God has done the work alone. And we've used words like monergism and synergism to describe the distinction. We would see justification by faith as being monergistic. It's a work of God alone. We don't do something to become saved. He saves us. But when you look at sanctification, I think a healthier view of sanctification is to see that as synergistic. Yes, it's a work of God. Yes, His Spirit is in us. He's doing a work of sanctifying us. But we are cooperating with Him in that process of Him sanctifying us. 
one of the clear passages would be like Hebrews chapter, excuse me, chapter 12. I'll look at it in a minute, but Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in the absence, in my absence. Here it is. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, I can't. Why? Because it's God who works in you, both to give you the will and, and to work for His good pleasure. There's, I, there I think you see the, the cooperation. You have on the one hand, you have, it's God who's in you. He's giving you a desire. His Spirit's in you. He's giving you a will. His Spirit's in you. He's giving you the power. But as you read through the New Testament, you realize there's a call for me to pursue a life of holiness and obedience to that. Now, He gives you all the means to do that, but still we cooperate with Him as we progress in growing in grace. Now that you've trusted in Christ, you're saved. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And now you're to live a life of obedience. You say it's impossible? Yeah, it is, unless you're in union with Christ. Yes, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone. And then striving is also strive for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And so there we see we're encouraged to strive to live a holy life. But we can only do it because of being in union with Christ and the work of the Spirit in our heart. So from that perspective, I would say sanctification is a little different than all the other links, and perhaps that's the distinction that was in Paul's mind. Uh, here, here's what's important is we can't have a passive view of grace. We can't say, let go and let God. We can't say, well, if God wants to change me, He's going to change me. We can't say that if we, if we hear the gospel over and over and over again, we're going to change. There is a cooperative work of us to be involved in the process. Redeemed people are working out their salvation with fear and trembling, and mortifying the deeds of the flesh. Secondly, if that wasn't his reason, here's another one. Maybe the reason why he left out sanctification was because he already mentioned it, well, partially. Verse 29. Look at verse 29. Also, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. And so maybe that he, in his own mind that was sufficient he was talking about a time where during our sanctification we're becoming more and more and more conformed to the image of His Son. And then when we're glorified, we will become conformed ultimately to the, to the image of His Son. We're predestined and conformed. We're progressively becoming more and more like Christ. But we will practically be more like Christ when we have glorified bodies. So that's the two we're looking at today. Now that brings us to the end of this this golden chain of salvation. What a mighty, what a mighty salvation this is. Would you agree with me? And this is, I mean, you read this. That's why we slowed down. Isn't it a, an amazing, amazing work that God has done on behalf of us whom He's saving? I mean, I wish we could take hold of this chain on both ends, this, this golden chain with five links, and put it before us and just behold the chain. But our arms are not long enough. 
I'd have to stretch this arm out into infinity in the past, and this one out to infinity in the future, and I, I can't go that far with, with this body that I have right now to behold the, the, all five links. But behold how the foreknowledge and predestination stretch. Eternity pass. Glorification stretches out into eternity future. And each linked together by the present. And I'm excited for some of you because God might not have saved you yet. And so that day when He calls you and you're justified is, is still yet in the future, but hopefully not too far down the future from now. Just a couple of practical applications for those of us who are here as we ponder this golden link of, of uh, salvation. Could it be that you're here today without Christ? Could it be that you're here today uh, without, any, without any present hope of forgiveness of your sins, without any present hope for eternal life when you pass from this life, eternal life with God? You've been separated from God by your sins. Perhaps the Spirit of God has made you well aware that you're a sinner. You don't need any help in that, that area. And what you need is forgiveness that only God can give. And if, if that's you, I know if I was sitting in your shoes, and I think I have been there before, I would be thinking something like this, especially after hearing a message like this. Well, what hope is there for me? I mean, this, this, this is all sewed up in eternity past. If this was all sewed up before the creation of the world, who's going to be on the first link, the second link, all the way to the last link? And here I am in my life. What hope is to, for me to know whether I was ever even on those first two, two links? Well, let me share some good news with you. Christ came into this world to save sinners. He came to lay down His life, take His body and lay on a cross and let them drive the spikes in His hands and feet. He'd be raised up and the blood would be shed. The wrath of the Heavenly Father would be poured out upon Him so that He would be end up substitutionally paying for the sins of all of those He was going to save. That's good news. And it could be that uh, you're here today and uh, you say, well, wait a minute. What about me? Here's what I would encourage you to do. Do not focus on eternity past. Who knows about it? I wasn't there. Don't focus on eternity past. Focus on time and space because this is where you are today. And I think it's very important to realize that, uh, that God has called a people to salvation. Here, here, here's the good news. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You will be saved. Did you know that? Forget about all the, the, the links and the golden chain. If you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And that should be the focus of your heart. All who repent of their sins and simply trust in the work of Christ on their behalf not trusting in works, trusting in Christ, will be saved. You, know, you will be counted among those who were foreknown. You'll be counted among those who were predestined. And you'll be counted amongst those who will be glorified. And so I would call you to come to Christ. That's all you have to worry about, coming to Christ, trusting in Him. 
And by the way, I, I, I believe in a God that no matter what stuttering words would come off the lips of this preacher, that he has the power to take those words, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and effectually draw sinners unto himself. Also, I want to think, for those of us who are believers, think about doxology or worship. We've been di digging deep into the doctrine of salvation. We who have a new heart, we who have been born again, we who are among those who have been justified. And those glorious truths that we've been looking at should just pluck the strings of your heart so that joy comes out and thanksgiving I mean, we, I just don't think we can look through a list like that and understand a list like that and read it with redeemed eyes and, 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 and hear it from a redeemed heart and not be filled with worship and praise and thanksgiving. And so think of these, of these words as we come to the Lord's table. I'll be redirecting our thoughts there at that time. From the beginning to the end, there's thanksgiving for what Christ has done. Let me close by saying probably the most important application for all of us of this passage is this. One of the weapons the enemy wants to use to defeat you in your Christian life is the very fiery darts of doubt. You know that? In other words, that, that, that's where he makes some of the greatest gains in people's lives from his perspective. If he can shoot a fiery dart of doubt into your heart, so that you end up becoming unwound and questioning everything that God has promised in His Word, He will defeat you. He will try and defeat you. What does He do? He comes slinging accusations, questioning your salvation. He wants to put doubts in your mind that you're not truly a child of God. Look at the sin that you did. Call yourself a believer. You go to church. What a hypocrite you are. He accuses you. He grinds you down. And he'll do that over and over until he gets you to the point where you're ready to throw the towel in and just give up. Forfeit your joy. Lose your salvation. Abandon your faith. Turn away from Christ. Turn away from ministry. Quench the remaining fiery darts that come to you, here's your weapon. This is your weapon. When he comes with a fiery dart, bring out the chain. Bring out the chain. I mean, use it as a, as a defensive weapon. Use it as an offensive weapon. This is who I am in Christ. This is what Christ has done from eternity past to eternity future. It's going to happen. It's guaranteed. I've been assured. He foreknew me. He loved me with an everlasting love. He predestined me to be conformed to the image of Christ, and he's, he's doing that. He brought me to believe in the glorious gospel of Christ, and I, I've, I've been trusting in Christ and Christ alone for my forgiveness. And he's forgiven me. He's promised that. And not only that, this is what's, what's amazing is, I will be glorified. Now, you stand up with the word of truth and with this, with, with this uh, five-linked chain, and I believe the devil will flee. No matter what fiery darts he slings at you, this is the truth we need to embrace in our hearts. Behold, thank God for, because we're going to worship him for these truths forever.
Father, we just close thanking you for your word again, speaking to us. Lord, uh, it's an amazing work you've done. I mean, it's more than just saying you sent Jesus and we believe in our heart, you were saved. It's a work of eternity. It's a work of the omnipotent, powerful hand of God. It's a work of grace. It's a work of a God who will not change his mind and keep his promises. You are the immutable God. And therefore, Lord, we have much assurance. We have much hope. And we have much to look forward to, glorifying you forever. In Christ's name, amen. So let's stand and sing to the Lord as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's day.